At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life. Chadwick Bozeman, Oscar award-winning actor, dead at 43 of colon cancer. 44-year-old superstar Ryan Reynolds gets a colonoscopy after losing a bet, revealing several polyps that were discovered and removed successfully. As if there aren't enough headlines about the dangers of colorectal cancer lately, I'm here to tell you that it's even more important to listen up. Colorectal cancers are getting diagnosed more frequently and at a younger age, and prevention is the key. If you turn to face it head on and early enough, you can beat it before it beats you. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco, Chief Population Health Officer for Baptist Health. And here to help us explore this is Dr. Sarah Joseph. Sarah is a medical oncologist at Miami Cancer Institute and a specialist in gastrointestinal cancers. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me, Jonathan. It's a pleasure. So let's let's jump right into this um, important topic. Um, colon cancer, obviously the end result of the colonoscopies, um, and we talk about colonoscopies, but let's start with what is colon cancer? Are there particular kinds of cancers that we see more frequently? And give us a little bit of your insights regarding the frequency and importance of colon cancer diagnoses early. Sure. So... Colon cancer in a nutshell is a rapid growth of cells within the colon, and it creates a mass that generally arises in the large colon, which is our digestive tract. There's different cell types, but the more common ones that we see are what we call an adenocarcinoma. And colon cancer tends to be the third most common cancer that we see in both females and males in the U.S. So in about a year, we diagnose about 150,000 new cases. Wow. And about 50,000 Americans are expected to die each year of colon cancer. But good news, Jonathan, is that the incidence overall, if we look at the general population, it's been declining since 1990. But what's interesting is that the incidence in our younger populations, like what you mentioned earlier with Chadwick, is that the population, you know, between the ages of 40 to 45 has steadily increased at about an incidence of like 2.1% each year. So that's why, and you said it perfectly, is screening, screening, screening is so yeah. important to us. So screening means basically you don't wait for someone to show signs or symptoms of a problem. You do certain what is ostensibly accurate tests to find out if someone has a problem early. So let's talk a little bit about colon cancer screenings. Um, what are the methodologies we generally recommend uh, and at what age to screen patients for colon cancer? Absolutely. So recently we've changed all our screening recommendations given the incidence has been increasing with our younger populations. The age went from 50 to age 45. So hmm. once you hit age 45, the gold standard for screening for colorectal cancer is a colonoscopy. So that tends to happen. You know, there are other modalities that we, we can screen with. We can do, we can test your stool. We can do other types of testing. But even if any of those other modalities are positive, guess what? You kind you of- a colonoscopy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So colonoscopy becomes really the um, um, recommended screening test, 45, uh, showing again what we're all seeing, which is colon cancer presenting at an earlier age. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, colonoscopy, again, a little bit. We're talking to the, the, the listeners here. What's involved? How do most people get the get? How do we make available colonoscopies for people when they hit that uh, appropriate age? Sure. So a visit with your primary care physician. You know what, just how women, we get mammograms, we get pap smears, 
we do all of our preventative screenings for cancers at age 45. So you know what? I'm due for a colonoscopy. So you're asymptomatic. You got no symptoms. You go see your primary care and you get a referral for a gastroenterologist or some colorectal surgeons do perform colonoscopies. And it's a it's a, you know, it's a process where I've heard my patients kind of walk me through it because I've personally, I've not had one. I'm not 45 just yet. But um, so the day before the colonoscopy, you prep. So you, you're on a clear liquid diet and you start drinking this prep that kind of sends you to the bathroom quite often, (laughs) Um, you know, because when they take a scope and a camera and they look within the colon, they want to see a very clean picture to make sure that they see anything and they catch it early. So the day before is I think the toilet tends to be your best friend and the day of you go in, it's an outpatient procedure. So you go to the office and they set up an IV. You get a little light sedation, kind of like propofol. So it's really, really good sleep. You feel Mm -hmm. like you feel like a million bucks by the time that you wake up and the endoscopist who does the colonoscopy goes in and it generally takes a couple minutes. So it's a quite a, you know, it's quite a fast procedure. So it's not, overly time consuming, but I think the prep takes more time than yeah. anything else. And the prep, everyone makes jokes about it, but it's really not that bad. And uh, you actually feel a little refreshed and lighter in the morning. Uh, <laughs> but I'm uh, having had the pleasure of two colonoscopies and now scheduled for my third at the age of 62. Uh, I can tell you, I can tell the listeners, it really is not a bad experience. In fact, both of mine was scheduled at seven. I was home at 930 in the morning and I was like feeling good. I'm thinking, wow, that's what it takes to get a few hours off from work. It's <laughs> to get a colonoscopy. But 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 in all seriousness, the importance of the colonoscopy is what we want to really uh, impress upon folks. So when you see patients with colon cancer, can you give a ballpark figure how many were diagnosed through a colonoscopy screening? Remember, folks, asymptomatic, it's time for my colonoscopy, versus how many would be because people presented with symptoms? And then we'll talk about what those presenting symptoms or signs might be. Sure. So a little bit less than 50% of patients that are asymptomatic at the time of screening, but 47%, I would say, are actually preventative. So they have no symptoms. And in my practice, that's literally about half of the patients that I see. Okay. It's more that they I get referrals from the gastroenterologist or the colorectal surgeon saying, hey, they did a screening colonoscopy. We found a cancer. We resected it. They had the surgery. They're doing perfect. Can you see them? So that's generally about half. The other half of patients, unfortunately, are those with rectal bleeding, with abdominal pain, with nausea, with vomiting, with signs and symptoms kind of like of an obstruction. So those are the ones that I ended up seeing in the hospital, for example, or they are in the hospital, they see a colorectal surgeon and they have to be taken for emergent surgery. And then I see them in the office once they're healed well. So I would say more about half-half. So from a symptom standpoint, the tumor is growing. No one knows it. It grows until it eventually obstructs the intestine so the food doesn't pass, which can lead to pain and vomiting and whatnot, and or it erodes and bleeds. Um, um, And those tumors, we would presume, would have been picked up with a colonoscopy at some time well before they got to that stage. Is that a fair statement? Okay. Absolutely. so again, speaking to the purpose of colonoscopy. And, and I think um, um, another point for to, to, to talk to the viewers, does everyone who has some rectal bleeding have cancer? Does everyone who have abdominal pain have cancer? Let's reassure the folks as well regarding getting those symptoms checked out, but it's not to say, oh my God, cancer is my first diagnosis. What, what, what would be your experiences regarding people who have those symptoms? What percent really wind up being cancer? So we, we have 
symptoms for honestly everything. We ate bad food. We have hemorrhoids. We have, you know, benign circumstances that, you know, have certain symptoms that I would say, oh, as an oncologist, you know, if you have a change in bowel habits, if you have rectal bleeding, that kind of has my light bulbs kind of turned on. But in reality, it's a very few amount of those patients that are diagnosed with colorectal cancer. The majority of those cases tends to be other benign etiologies. So in reality, not malignant, but if you're having a persistent symptom for for a long period of time and you're having, you know, it's not getting better, it's getting worse, you have a family history of colon cancer, then those would be red flags for you to then see your physician. Uh, So again, don't sit on anything, certainly anything persists. Go to your doctor, I think is the best, the best recommendation. But but don't do it with any kind of fear, because obviously it could be much more benign things that could be taken care of. Um, let me pivot in the conversation. Um, um, uh, and again, I really appreciate the information you're giving us. Um, when we say it's happening at an earlier age, can we opine why that might be the case? Is it earlier detection? Is it related to other lifestyle components which we're dealing with as a society, including obesity and processed foods and all the other stuff in our diet. Um, so the question is, can you? is there any thought about why we're seeing this at an early age? And the second part of that conversation is, what would be the kind of lifestyle behaviors that might increase the risk of colon cancer? You mentioned genetics in that a family history, but what are the other components that we look to that might uh, drive a person to have a higher likelihood of developing colon cancer? Sure. So to answer your first question, why are patients getting it earlier? And I think right now is the trend that we're seeing. So, you know, they looked, there was a, there was a study that looked at 20 studies that they compiled together and they looked at the ages of when patients were diagnosed and looked at risk factors and family history was one of them. So if you have, you know, a first degree relative, those put patients at an elevated risk. That was one of them. Obesity. Is there a, I wanted to interrupt for a second again, I'm thinking from the what? cardiology standpoint, is there an age cutoff to that? So for example, in the cardiovascular space, if a first-degree male member under the age of 55 had an event, that's a risk. But if your 85-year-old grandfather had, it wouldn't be. So is there an age component of that with the family history? If my 90-year-old grandmother has colon cancer, does that put me at risk? So I always say, you know, when you have a family member that's being diagnosed, we always recommend you getting screened 10 years earlier or age okay. 45, whichever comes sooner. So right. cancer, unfortunately, the the you know, the older we get, the more risks that we have of developing a cancer. So it's not uncommon for, you know, your grandmother at 90 years old to get cancer, but that wouldn't put you saying, oh, you know what, you're going to get a colonoscopy at 80. No, I would say start at 45. So it doesn't put you at an elevated risk if your family history has a diagnosis later on in life, but it's those family members that are diagnosed relatively earlier. Fair enough. Okay. I'm sorry to interrupt. That's, that's the way no, I roll. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so continue. So earlier, the reason they're getting it earlier, and then what are the lifestyle components? So lifestyle. So hyperlipidemia, that's a big one. Yep. Obesity. Yep. Cigarette use, so a lot of smoking, and alcohol use. So those are our modifiable kind of risk factors that we can change based on lifestyle. So, you know, increase your physical activity, increase your amount of fiber that you have in the diet, Stop smoke. smoking, you know, <laughs> right. I would say yeah. limit alcohol use and, um, you know, make sure that your diet has a lot of, you know, fresh fruits, fresh, like fresh vegetables, make sure that, you know, it's a relatively plant-based healthy diet. And I appreciate that. You're validating a lot of the other podcasts we do are about uh, diet, nutrition, cardiometabolic disorders. And uh, we always throw out there that these 
inflammatory type states also increase the risk of cancers. I'm obviously approaching it from cardiovascular disease, cognitive decline, uh, you know, et cetera. Um, but obviously it comes back towards lifestyle being a major driver of a lot of these illnesses that we we're seeing more of as, as one gets older. So uh, uh, again, well said. Um, let's switch for a second. I mean, we're hyper-focusing on colon cancer here and the benefit of colonoscopies, both screening and of course getting checked out by a doctor if you have any suspicious symptoms. What about other gastrointestinal disorders like um, inflammatory bowel diseases, Crohn's, et cetera? Where does the colonoscopy come into play with, with, with those conditions? Are you able to speak to that at all? Yeah, absolutely. So I think you you kind of nailed it when you said when we have general inflammatory conditions. So if you have a chronic state of inflammation, like we see in ulcerative colitis, like we see in Crohn's disease, that tends to inflame the entire colon that we tend to turn call up pan colitis. So just a general inflammation of the bowel that does put the general population at increased risk of developing colon cancer. So for example, in ulcerative colitis, they're about like 15 fold increase compared to the general public in developing cancer. So Generally, we recommend colonoscopies about eight to 10 years after the initial diagnosis of the pancolitis. And it's a similar finding when it comes to Crohn's disease. So, so that's, that's awesome information. I think, again, a take-home point is the colonoscopy, sure, it's a procedure, outpatient, safe, fast, painless, not to be thought of as, I don't want that procedure, it's gross, et cetera, you know, you're asleep, everyone's professional, but at the same time, the incredible benefit in finding a cancer diagnosis early in the colon provides profound benefits and survival rates. Absolutely. Um, I mean, if we yeah. can prevent a cancer, why not? So okay. that's what we always advocate for colonoscopies. Last question, promise, then I'll let you go on to your, <laughs> your busy clinical schedule. So polyps, um, you know, we know what they are, but explain what the term polyp is, what they are, and how they are related to this colorectal cancer journey, if you will. Okay. So when we say, you know, get a colonoscopy, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for these out pouchings, little kind of blobs without within the, the colon. And that's just a special term called a polyp. And we have polyps that are cancerous that we call an adenoma. And then we have non-cancerous polyps that we call, for example, an inflammatory polyp. So it's really the eye of the endoscopist when they go in, like the gastroenterologist or the colorectal surgeon, when they go in, they'll look and they'll say, hmm, this polyp looks kind of odd looking. It has, you know, it's serrated. It looks weird. This looks malignant. So let me do a biopsy. So they tend to do a biopsy of, of the polyps. If they're small enough, they remove them. And all of the polyps and everything that they find, they send it to our pathology department. So that's how we see, you know, and that takes about, I would say, three to five business days to get a full pathology report. But if anything comes back cancerous, that's how we make that diagnosis is through a colonoscopy, looking at the different kinds of polyps, either removing it entirely or taking a biopsy. And having a polyp on your colonoscopy or even a polyp that's removed, that turns out to be, we'll say, precancerous. Um, that doesn't mean you would have, that doesn't mean you're going to get cancer and it doesn't mean you just get continued colonoscopies on a regular basis. Is that exactly. Fair to say? Like say they have like a clean colonoscopy, everything looks great. It looks smooth within the colon. You might get your next colonoscopy in 10 years, but say they find polyps and some look pre-malignant. They're not sure of some, they remove others. Then they'll say, you know what, come back in a year, come back in three years. So you get a little more frequent colonoscopies. 
Perfect. Um, listen, uh, so you're great information. You're able to articulate these complex uh, conditions and, and issues very well. And I, I really appreciate you bringing your expertise and passion to us at Baptist Health. Any final thoughts, anything you want to reiterate or any points you want to make to the listeners that I uh, that we didn't touch on? I mean, I think really the take-home messages are what are the risk factors, which, you know, I think if we can modify our environmental ones, obesity, tobacco, alcohol, those are the big ones. And that not only helps prevent cancer, but also helps cardiovascular disease, metabolic syndrome. So it kind of helps with your global health. And then if you're not sure of a sign or a symptom that you're having, just, you know, pick up the phone, call your physician and have a conversation. And that can lead to us diagnosing a cancer earlier. So I think communication and just bringing awareness of this is huge in, within the community. Well said. And I just want to add to viewers, I'm sorry, to listeners, <laughs> an audio podcast, um, <laughs> is um, you can do this for your loved one as well. So be an advocate for your loved one to get colonoscopies in the proper timing, or if they're complaining of certain symptoms, make sure they get checked out as well. So uh, again, great stuff. Thanks again, Sarah. Thanks, Jonathan. It was great have, great being on. <laughs> <laughs> to our listeners, not viewers, to our listeners, if you like what you've heard today on this or any of our other podcasts, uh, please be sure to tell a friend or a family member about us. If you have a comment or a suggestion for a future topic, please email us at baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. That's baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.